Well, we are excited now to start a new series today, and we're going to do the book of Job. Yeah, <laughs> cheering for the book of Job. Here we go, right? And uh, we're going to do it with four different preachers, four sermons, four different preachers. And uh, Jim Harding, come on up, Pastor Jim. Pastor Jim, any of you know him? We're, you're going to need a music stand, aren't you? I'll go get you one. Are you going to need one of those today? Yeah, yeah. And Pastor Jim is a dear friend of mine. In fact, he may be the most encouraging person in my life. And he's been assigned to preach Job 1 and 2. Anybody want to sign up for that one? <laughs> this guy has seen some life and some suffering. He is well equipped to preach to us about these chapters. And uh, he's a blessing to our congregation, those of you who know him. So I'm going to pray for him, and then he's going to give us God's word, okay? Father, I thank you for Jim. I thank you for his heart for you. I thank you that he shepherds so many over many years. Father, thank you for his life story. Thank you, God, that he loves your word, but more than that, he loves you, God. So speak through him today. Empower him. Give him strength and grace. And Father, may we have open hearts to hear from you this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Thank you and good morning. Thank you. Well, here we are in the middle of August. I can hardly believe I'm saying that. Where did the summer go? And as Pastor Kevin just said, we've spent the summer studying in the Old Testament. First, Jonah, then Joel, now Job. So three of the J's of the Old Testament. Now, when you hear, when most people who are familiar with the Bible at all, or even those who aren't, when they hear the name Job, what do they think about? Suffering. suffering. I heard that all over. Suffering. And there is suffering in there, absolutely. But let me suggest to you that seen on the whole, the book of Job is every bit as much about faith as it is suffering. And you say, well, I, I don't see how that could be. Well, just hang with me a little bit. Viewing the book of Job as focusing on faith helps us, what's, helps us understand what's really going on in the first two chapters, which is what we're going to look at today. The first two chapters, just a quick synopsis, are all about Satan challenging God that Job's faith really isn't faith at all. It's just because Job's got everything got going great for him. And if he didn't have everything going great for him, he'd curse God. While God at the same time is challenging Satan and saying, no, you don't understand. Job's faith is genuine. And so this, what's happening in the first two chapters is really about faith. Satan saying Job's faith isn't really genuine, it's just thin. If, if you dug down, if things got really tough, he'd throw away that faith, and God's saying no. His faith is real. Now let's look at the first two chapters. Now fasten your seatbelts, because we're going to go through all verses in the two chapters. And we're not going to be here till 1 o'clock either. First chapter, book of Job. 
We're going to start off by looking at Job the man. Job the man. I'm going to read the first five verses and then verse 8. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was... When the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. And then verse 8, And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Job was, verse 3 says, the greatest of all the people of the East. Therefore, if you're talking about success in terms of worldly view of that, he was the best. He had it all. He was the greatest. He was number one. But, Far more importantly is what verse 8 says, when God says to Satan, there's none like him on the earth. This is my best. Wow. The most successful, and in terms of God's viewpoint, the best. Job had everything. So why did all of this begin to unfold that we're going to read about. Interestingly enough, the president of Moody Bible Institute's name is Job. His last name, J-O-B-E, Dr. Mark Job. And he has an interesting analogy to Job and to what begins to happen to him as Satan begins to attack him. Dr. Job calls Job God's top button. And what he does is he takes the shirt and says, you know, when you begin to button your shirt, you start at the top and and you button down. I don't know, some of you may button from the bottom up, but this morning when I got up, I got in front of the mirror because if I don't get in front of the mirror, what Dr. Job is suggesting may happen to me. He says, if you're not careful with that first button, you're going to button it in the wrong hole, and as you start proceeding down your shirt, your shirt's going to be crooked. Anybody else ever had that happen, or is that just me? Well, Dr. Job says, what Satan was trying to do since, Job was God's best. He had influence over everyone else whose life he came into contact with. Not just his family. Not just his friends, not just his work associates, not just his neighbors. Job was God's best. He had influence over everyone in some way or another, probably 
in that entire region. And so Satan's, Satan's attack was get that top button out of kilter. Get that top bit button offline. Get that top button going the wrong way. And everyone else is going to be affected by that. You say, well, okay, maybe I can see that. But how does that have anything to do with me? Let me suggest everyone in this room is somebody's top button. Everyone. I don't care how old you are. I don't care married, single, male, female. I don't care. Everybody in this room is somebody's top button. By that I mean you influence other people. And why does Satan attack you? Well, one of the reasons why does he attack us is to try to get that top button out of alignment, to get us headed off the wrong direction, to get us to stop doing some of the things we're doing for the Lord, or to start, or to, to, to keep from starting to do some of the things. We're somebody's top button. We influence people, not just our family, not just our work associate. As a Christian, as a believer, as a person, we have influence on other people. That's one of the reasons Satan's, Satan attacks us. And that's, what, that's the reason he attacked Job. A verse I've used throughout my life, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, most of you are familiar with it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I can't tell you how many times through my life I've opened the Bible to that verse and said, okay, God, I don't think I can hang on. I don't think I can persevere. I don't think I can overcome. And I've just claimed that verse time and time and time again. God, you said as a promise that you'd see me through this, and I don't see how I'm going to make it unless you do. Job, not only the greatest in all the East, but God's top button, his best. And then God. Let's look at God, verses 6 through 8. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. When you think about God, when you think about Job, when you think about this book, this book is as much about God as it is faith, as it is anything else. The challenge between Satan and God and God and Satan is behind what the plot is all about in these first two chapters. Then, and it's going to be covered later by one of the four preachers, chapters 38 through 41. If you want some 
just some reading in the book of Job. I hope you'll read the whole book, but if you want some special reading to maybe use in your Bible study, your devotion, your, your daily worship between now and the end of the month or the end of the study of Job, I suggest that you take Job chapters 38 through 41 and just read them. In those chapters, in those chapters, God poses to Job. Job had been so busy trying to, to want an audience with God, to want to, to convince God that, that he was, there was nothing wrong, that, that some, something had been misunderstood. In those chapters, God confronts Job and he asks him 77 questions. There's no response. There's no opportunity, really, to respond. God is just pounding one question after another, after another, after another, after another. Okay, Job, you think you understand so much. You think you know so much. You think you have been so wrong. Consider this. Were you around when all of these things were created, when all of these things were done? Do you understand about this and that and the other thing? And he pounds 77 questions, and, and Job just ends up being dumbfounded by how overwhelmed he is with the awesomeness of God. I hear the word awesome used all the time. I use it. But truly awesome, if you want to catch just the least little hint of the awesomeness of God, read those chapters in the book of Job. God is awesome. So keep in mind that as the almighty creator and sustainer, God does not have to explain to us the whys. It's enough to know that he cares and that he does not make mistakes. That is part of what faith is all about. I like what Warren Wiersbe has said. He says the fundamental, the fundamental reason for Job's suffering was to silence the blasphemous accusations of Satan and to prove that a man could and would honor God even though he had lost everything. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, when you go through a trial, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which you lay your head. I really like that one. And then, sometimes, we don't realize that God is all we need until God is all we have. And then let's look at Satan, beginning with verses 9 and following. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand, and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, 
All that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And then let's continue in chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him on the, on the earth. A, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil. And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin to skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give up for his life. But stretch out your hand now, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. Satan. The name means accuser. It means adversary. We don't have time for a whole doctrinal treatise on this, but there was a time when Satan as a created angel decided got a little full of himself, got way too full of himself, and decided he was going to be like God. And he ended up getting thrown out of heaven. And since that day, he has been at war with God and all of his creation. Now, I have heard, and you have heard too, people say, well, if God was a loving God, he wouldn't. You're blaming the wrong person. God created a paradise. He created a perfect world. But he had to provide choice into that creation. Choice to follow God or reject God. Because without that, we would be nothing more than puppets. He provided choice, and right from the get-go, man chose to disobey God, to sin against God, to rebel against God, to be selfish toward God and toward self and sin entered the world. So whatever you want to name that people typically try to blame God for, cancer, heart attacks, any kind of disease, war, famine, horrible things like what have happened in Maui in recent days, or happened all across the world with refugees, with all kinds of heartache and heartbreak, you name it, that's not God's fault. That's what happens when man turns away from God and chooses to rebel and go his own way. Those are the consequences of that. Praise God there is a God to step in and see us through those consequences and to give us the hope of an eternal life with him in heaven through faith. That's not God's fault. That's Satan's fault. First Peter 5.8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, is walking about looking for someone to devour. I'm going to say that again. Be sober, be vigilant, 
Be on guard because your adversary, your enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion, is walking around looking for someone to devour through drugs, through alcoholism, through you name it. He's looking for a family to devour. He's looking for a community to devour. He's looking for a nation to devour. He's looking for anything he can destroy, anything that created of God he wants to attack and war against and devour because that's who he is and that's what he does. So at least get right the the fault of who's behind all of this suffering and pain and heartache in the world. It's Satan, our adversary, the devil, who's walking around like a roaring lion looking for anything created of God that he can devour, that he can taint, that he can destroy. Satan is not equal to God. He's not all-powerful. He's a created being with limited power even though sometimes it doesn't feel like that. He's not all-present. He's not all-knowing because if he had been all-knowing, he wouldn't have entered into this contest with God because he would have known how it was going to turn out. I have some verses put up there now that are verses to help believers in the midst of temptation and trial by Satan. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, Paul wrote these words. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. James wrote these words, James 4.7. Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. These are promises. These are promises that we as believers should be using when we're under attack. And then finally, John. John 1, 4, 4. He who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. You can take those three verses and put them in your Bible, put them on a note, put, attach it to your, your car um, somewhere where you'll see it regularly, Put it on your mirror, put it on your refrigerator, put it on all those places, because likely or not, you'll have an opportunity to use it in all of those times. An old throat gets dry after a while. Okay, we've looked at God, at Job, at Satan. Now let's look at the subject when I asked you to begin with. What do most people think about? How do they respond when they hear the word Job? They think of suffering. All right, let's talk about suffering. Here is some serious suffering, beginning with verse 13 in chapter 1. Now there was a day when his sons, Job's sons, daughters, were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabians raided them and took them away, indeed they, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. 
And while he was speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the, the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another who came said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, you think you've had a bad day? My goodness. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly the wilderness, uh, the great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead and I alone. I alone have escaped to tell you. Job rose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. And worshipped. Wow. Let's move ahead into the second chapter, verses 7 through 9. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful Boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with, with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. And his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. So what are some of the reasons people suffer. Because you hear people sit around and talk about that. Well, I, I don't know why this happened, but maybe it was this, or maybe it was that, or I think it was this. Well, one of them we talked about earlier in the message. We live in a fallen, broken world, and it gets more fallen and more broken all the time. I don't even recognize the world we live in from the world I grew up in. I don't even recognize the world from the world I was a young man in. I mean, the choices, the immorality, the... The hatred, the self, it is a whole new level than anything I've ever witnessed. That's one reason. We live in a fallen world. One is we're being prepared or equipped for ministry. The Bible talks about the fact that we go through a lot of things we go through so that we will be experienced to help other people who are going to go through the same thing. It makes a difference if you've been through it and come through it with the Lord. Another reason is to deepen our faith and for God's glory. No pain, no gain. That works spiritually too. Another reason is to make us more humble or thankful. Another reason is to help us grow spiritually. Another reason is sin's consequences or God's chastisement. All of these are reasons we go through suffering. Hopefully not all those things are happening at the same time, but there's some of the reasons. And, of course, Satan's attack. I've got to tell you, through the years of pastoring, and I'm sure Kevin would agree to this, and I'm sure Jared would agree to this, and any other pastor who has sat with people in counseling situations, grief counseling situations through the years, I'm sure they would agree with what I'm going to say. There are some things that take place in the life of a congregation or people that you come in contact with 
that you sit there and listen to them pour their hearts out and, and tears streaming down their face and what has happened makes no sense to them or you. And what I've, what I, speaking for myself, what I have come to, to say so many times is I do not know. I do not know. But based on the word of God, based on the word of God, I believe this, God's got us. No matter what can happen to us, or to our family, or to our friends, or how we've been attacked, or how we've been hurt, no matter what, God has got us. And he's enough to see us through whatever we face. And he's able to use it for our good and for his glory. No matter what. Read about the heroes of the Bible. Read about the heroes of the faith through the ages. The things they've gone through. There's a book entitled Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is a book telling the stories of Christian martyrs in the early centuries. It was illegal to be a Christian in Europe for about 300 years. And you could be executed. Your family could be executed, thrown in jail, persecuted, just because you were a Christian. One of the most heinous unbelievable things I've ever read about is Christians found in Rome were put on a pole, strapped to a pole, oil was thrown on their bodies and they were lit a fire to light the streets as a lamp because they were Christians. Suffering. God has got us, and he's enough. So how did Job respond to all of this? My goodness, I can't even imagine going through what he went through. Verses 20 through 22 of that first chapter. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin. Nor charge God with wrong. Okay, that was after the first round. Which was enough to humble anybody. This was before his body was struck with this dreaded disease. And he was suffering horribly, personally. That's what Job came back and that's what Satan came back and said to God. Well, okay, he lost his family, he lost his, his crops and his herds and he, his wealth and his all that. Yeah, okay, but you let him personally be affected, then he'll curse you. Well, let's see what he did after he was personally, physically impacted. Verse 10 of chapter 2. But Job, and this is after his wife turned on him, she turned on him and said, this is enough. Curse God and die. 
Verse 10, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now that's faith. F-A-I-T-H, the acronym F, faith, A, faith. Excuse me, I got all. Forsaking all, I trust him. Well, Job had done that. He had forsaken all and he still trusted God because he had lost all. But he still trusted God. There's, there's some times already for some of you right here, right now, who feel like you have just about lost all. Whatever you could put on that list, you've just about lost it all. Forsaking all, I trust God. I trust him. I don't know what else to do. I don't know where else to turn. God's been faithful to me through the years. What am I going to do now? Who else is going to help me now? Forsaking all, I trust him. Let me ask you a question. So often we want an explanation. We want somebody to say to us, okay, this is why that happened. Would that really make you feel better? Maybe. But let me go a question beyond that. What we're asking so often is for God to give us some explanation. Now think about this. The God who spoke the universe and creation into existence, who understands everything about all of the stars and planets and solar systems, he created it. I mean, we have the finest minds in science and technology that have put all kinds of satellites and things in space to see as far as, as we can, and they still say, we can't see the end of it all, and yet we can see all of these light years and thousands of light years and all of these solar systems. I've heard, I've read, there are as many stars as there are grains of, sea, sea, grains of sand on all of the seashores in the world. Now, I love the Caribbean. I've been there many times. I love it down there. That's where I go to get away. I love the water. I love the color. I love the music. I just love the feeling. There is one island down there that has 365 beaches. That's how they promote their island. We've got a beach for every day of the year. Come and spend the year with us. We've got a beach for every day. There are as many grains of sand on the seashores of the earth as there are Stars. And God created them. And he understands all of that and how it works and how it keeps from just exploding. How we're still here, he understands all of that. That God is going to explain to us history past, history future, and how it all relates. And we're going to understand that. Give me a break. I mean, there are some of you, some of you young people here, you're geniuses. You understand all this calculus and all this engineering stuff, and you've got all science, and you've got all of this stuff down. You know it. But if God tried to explain things to us, we wouldn't understand it. 
I like what one, one of the commentators I referred to said. We live by promises. As believers, as Christians, we live by promises, not explanations. There are some explanations about some things that help a little, but we live by promises. When we can hold up God's word and say, I'm counting on this, I'm counting on this promise, I'm counting on this verse and the promise of it to help me overcome Satan's attack, I'm counting on God's word because God's word doesn't change. It is true. It is what I've staked my life on, what I've staked my future on. It's what I've staked my faith on. This is what I believe, and this is what I live by, even though I don't understand it all. Because realistically, I can't. And finally, let's look at Job's friends. Now, I get to talk about Job's friends before they begin talking. That's a good thing. Because once they start talking, things start going downhill. I'm just giving you a heads up for what's coming. But to this point, the point I get to talk about, they don't talk. So I can talk really well about them. So let's look at these last verses of chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Now, when Job's three friends heard of all of this adversity that had come upon him, each one of them came from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namathite. For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar, they did not recognize him. They lifted their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward the heaven. They were mourning with him. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days, seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was great. The last thing I want to talk to you about, I'm going to speak very briefly about it, but I think it's very important, is what I call the ministry of presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. The ministry of being with someone. I told you earlier in the summer that this summer was the 50th anniversary of my father's passing. And the reason I shared that was because actually the text I was using back in Genesis speaking about Enoch, Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him. That was the verse that the minister at my father's funeral gave as the message. Today, this day, a Sunday, 50 years ago, I was sitting in a Sunday school in Virginia. I was in the Air Force. And somebody came and got me out of Sunday school and said, you've got a long-distance phone call, you need to take it. And I went and answered the phone call, and my 61-year-old father had just passed away. 50 years ago, today. My father was a very well-known person throughout the state of Missouri. He led Baptist work there. There were, at that time, a half a million 
Southern Baptists in Missouri. They were the largest denomination next to Roman Catholic. He traveled all the time. He knew everybody from everywhere throughout Missouri and well beyond. He was often even called to Washington to be involved in some kind of a religious study committee. I don't remember anybody, anything, anybody, because there were all kinds of people who called and came, and I don't remember anything anybody said to me except that the minister at the funeral. But you know what I do remember? Is I do remember a lady came to the house. I had flown immediately back from Virginia to Missouri, Jefferson City, Missouri, where I grew up, the capital city. I grew, I, I came there, and I mean, the house was already filled with people coming and going and calling and so forth and so on, and it was just, when you hear that, your 61-year-old father, and it's hard. And, you know, I don't remember a thing any of them said. Not one thing. They had all different kinds of techniques. I mean, some people shared a Bible verse, some, some a platitude, somebody, you know, this. Somebody. If I can ever help you, let me know. Please, please don't say that when you go. Just don't say anything. I don't remember what any of them said, but they said all of those things, I'm sure. But you know what I, what I remember? I remember a lady who our family knew who came to the door after I'd already arrived home, so it was several hours after he'd passed away. She came to the door and said to my mother, would it be helpful if I answered the phone? I remember that. I remember that for a couple of days. She came and went and answered the phone and took messages, and if it was something that needed, required one of the family members, she came and got us. She just seemed to know what to do. She was a presence there. Not a single verse, not a single platitude, not a single, none of that. She, she didn't do any of that. She just came. And her presence made a difference that I still remember 50 years later. The ministry of presence Band, you can come up. Understanding our pain is not the key to happiness. It's not going to be ha help us to be happier in life because we understand it, nor is finding a way to avoid suffering altogether the key. What matters most is a personal relationship with the living God, which is established by trusting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That is what matters most in life. This is 75 years standing up here telling you that, but that's not important. Most importantly, it's what those years are based upon, and it's the Word of God. That's what's most important. And that relationship, which is established by trusting Jesus as our Lord and Savior. This is a faith that fills our hearts. It fills our minds. 
and it fills our lives. And it fills these things with his person's person and his presence and his power. And when our lives are filled with the person and the presence and the power of the Lord God, we can live life triumphantly, no matter what. I like what one author wrote. God is too wise to be mistaken. He is too good to be unkind. So, when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. <laughs>